Hello and welcome to another episode of The Intersection, coming to you from Georgia Tech's Scheller College of Business. I'm your host, Scheller MBA alumni Alex Walsh, and our guest today is Georgia Tech alumni Bobby Hennebry. Bobby, how are you today? I'm great, man. It's good to be connected with you, Alex. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to our conversation. And it's probably Georgia Tech folks listening to this, so they're glad to know we're alums, but they probably would like to know what else you do. So I think you're a partner at DM Capital Management. Could you sort of explain what that means and sort of what you do for a living? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, hello to all my fellow Yellow Jackets all around the world, all of us connecting digitally in this post-COVID world. And uh, it's good to be together, and I look forward to the conversation. And DM Capital uh, was started by a Georgia Tech classmate of mine. We were undergrads together, mechanical engineering, a guy named Dan Mysett. Very smart, talented guy. He went off on a private equity or consulting route in private equity and then an operating company. And then our paths merge, you know, 10, 15 years later, which is kind of cool. You know, wherever you go to college, you know, you reunite with people in different ways. Totally. And uh, so Dan Mysett, DM, DM Capital, that's where ah. it comes from. And, you know, Dan's just a very talented, smart guy. He's loved investing for years. I mean, back to 2006, he started doing it on his own. And um, DM Capital is just his investment strategy. It's a concentrated approach. Um, so you kind of think of like private equity mindset, you know, a portfolio of 5, 10, 15 companies, and you're turning them around. He was in private equity before, but he applies that to listed equities, right? So. Basically, Dan loves nerding out on stocks. He loves reading research. I was a partner in an investment firm before, worked 11 years with another Georgia Tech guy, which we'll get into later, I'm sure. You know, I just met Dan again, you know, at the gym and then moved into his neighborhood years ago. And, you know, we both were interested in investments and we're kind of in the industry. And then, you know, the paths went from personal to professional. So I'm a partner in that uh, asset manager and I help run the operations and, work with investors. And I used to go to networking events in person, you know, all over the world and right. CFA wealth conferences. I'm a CFA charter holder for the investment nerds out there that know that. And, but we're all reinventing ourselves <laughs> and, and how we interact. So, Indeed. so that's so just capital. Perhaps via podcast or something. So, so great. Exactly. Um, I am always trying to, you know, this is a Georgia Tech podcast, obviously, so we always want to get to that at some point. But very quickly, we've we've arrived at it, right? Like it's it's your fellow student from tech that you're working with in DM Capital, and you just yeah. said at the, the previous role was a similar story. So let's talk about that as well. Yeah, well, you know, Georgia Tech has been really good to me, and thinking back to undergrad and walking back across campus, across Skiles Walkway or wherever I was in a dejected moment after a failed physics quiz or what have you and questioning my future, it was hard to see it at that time. Indeed. <laughs> um, but it's it's so funny how if you stick with it and you get out, as we call it, uh, of tech, um, how the rewards and the network and, and the personalities and people all come together over time. And so more to your question, before that, I had worked at a firm, uh, Seabridge, uh, that was founded by a guy named Garnet Keith. And Garnet graduated from Georgia Tech undergrad in, I want to say, 1958. Oh, wow. And uh, a little before I did. Indeed, right, yeah. <laughs> me me and, too, yeah. Exactly. And he had a very successful career in family offices and, 
Harvard Business School before that and worked at Prudential, was the chief investment officer of Prudential, and he retired in 96 and started Seabridge as a little registered investment advisor. And, you know, he was a guest lecturer in one of my classes at, uh, at then the College of Management, now Scheller. And my professor at Tech, Joel Cowan, had brought him in as a guest lecturer. And Joel really encouraged me to talk more to Garnet, seeing more possibilities than I could see, you know, as many of the old guard are and mentors, um, they see more in us than we can see in ourselves because they've seen more of life. And sure. so Joel kind of teed up that connection. And, you know, so Georgia Tech has been good to me and changed my life multiple times. And so I worked with Garnet for 11 years and was very proud to do that work with him and for him. And, you know, and Garnet also helped put Dan in business too and support him. So, you know, relationships really count for a lot in this life. No doubt. No doubt about it. Um, you, you mentioned maybe failing that physics quiz the one time. And there's Seabridge and DM Capital. Is there anything else in between? You know, you walk out of Georgia Tech. I know you got two degrees from there, and we'll talk about that. But is this yeah. the sort of complete career story? Is Seabridge, DM Capital, and that's where you are today? Or are there, are there a couple other small items in there? There's some. There's some. There's a lot of items without me making this too much of a shaggy dog story. But um, Joel Cowan, another protagonist in the story that is my life, I guess. Uh, changed my life twice. And the first, I grew up in Peachtree City, uh, okay. south of Atlanta. And for people to know Peachtree City or know Joel, know that when he was out of undergrad in the 60s, he was the first mayor of Peachtree City at age you know, 22 or 23 and got into real estate and banking and government and good works around the world and teaching at tech and just making a difference for people. And uh, so I was in his class when I found Garnet. And then 10 years later, Joel had said, and we kept up, a good relationship, Joel Garner and I are in another network with some other George Tech guys too, um, uh, kind of their cohort. And Joel said, hey, Bobby, come to this luncheon for this business network. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll come, you know. And it's called the Society of International Business Fellows, SIBF. And uh, it's very much like Young President's Organization or Vistage or Entrepreneur's Organization for people that are familiar with those. You, you pay to be a member, you're with other kind of business owners and like-minded people and you build meaningful professional context, but also deeply meaningful personal relationships that help you in your life. And so Joel teed up that observation or that opportunity. I got into SIBF. I did their leadership academy experience when I was a partner at Seabridge. I had a totally different sense of myself. And then that propelled me into the international stuff through their global network, which you can get into later. So, you know, Joel, his influence really has put me in a couple of really interesting directions. And He's teed me up for some other kind of little nonprofit and other opportunities along the way, too. So m much respect and love to Joel Cowan and Garnet for helping younger guys like myself and Dan. And now I'm trying to mentor with guys and gals at tech to try and help them and pay it forward in the tech tradition. Right. And my notes tell me there's a lot going on and absolutely we'll try to get to as much of it as we can. But one of those notes is that you have a, a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering and an MBA yep. in entrepreneurship. Did those come consecutively? Did you leave and come back? What was that experience like? Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I, growing up in Georgia, um, down in Peachtree City, you know, I didn't have any ambition to go out of state or anything. Both of my brothers went to college elsewhere. I'm in the middle of three boys for what it's worth. And uh, in any case, I was like, all right, well, I'll do engineering at Georgia Tech or I'll do business at, you know, UGA. And, you know, I was 
I had good enough grades to get into both, and obviously we know what the right decision there is, especially <laughs> those people listening to this call. Indeed. <laughs> so, so anyway, I went to tech, and I and you know those tests you take in high school where like the aptitude tests, and it's like, well, you should be a ballerina or a plumber or a reporter or an engineer, or whatever, right? It just kind of helps you focus. Right. Well, mine said engineer, oh. and you know, and and I was much better at math and science in school. I mean, I was still good across the board, but like I just was more outstanding there. And I thought, all right, engineering is probably what I should do and tech's a better school and in in the big city, so let's do it. So I went to tech and I did mechanical engineering and I'd always had, always had interest in business. Um, and, you know, I'd like to run a company, whatever that meant, you know, be a CEO, I mean, whatever that meant, right? Um, at the time and you know, so I had thought about getting an MBA, and after I graduated December of three undergrad, I got a letter from Paula Wilson saying, "Hey, you had a great grades, and you know, engineering and MBAs are good combinations. You should keep us in mind." And I was like, "All right, let's follow up on that." And I'd had a little engineering stint at Yokogawa Corporation America. I was doing some nerdy stuff there that was cool, but I got an offer to come interview. I interviewed, took the GMAT. There was a slot available, and I. Within nine months of graduating undergrad, I went back to business school and I wanted to do entrepreneurship because I wanted to do a startup. I wanted to run a company, whatever that meant. And tech had a certificate program in it. And I was like, all right, yalla, I'm going to do it. All right. So that's that's how I got in, into both positions, Alex. And and I was going, I want to sort of get the full origin picture. So number one, thank you for that. But also, I was wondering how Georgia Tech got on the radar. You sort of spoke to that. You're you're from the Atlanta area. It was on yes. your radar. You, you got a printout that said, you should be an engineer. And you yeah. said, where should I go for that? And you just sort of looked down the street and there was Georgia Tech. So it all makes sense. Um, yeah. well, you know, the, other, the other thing is the, the, the powerful and silent sometimes influence of your parents, right? My, my sure. father uh, spent 32 years working at Delta, was a line mechanic. He loved problem solving and then other people tapped him and saw potential in him and he got pulled into leadership roles and was eventually the director of global maintenance at Delta. So he had you know 3,000 mechanics working for him and people around the world. And there were a lot of Georgia Tech guys then, and there still are, including some tech guys who'd been CEO of Delta. And so dad always had a, a favorable impression. And whenever I happened to drive through downtown Atlanta with dad, you know, drive into a soccer game in North Georgia or a road trip, you know, you'd see the tech, you know, signs there or the football games advertised on that electronic billboard there. And uh, my dad would be like, you know, tech's a good school. And, you know, a lot of great guys at Delta. And, you know, the, the, you know, he would always just say that. He didn't tell me to go there. And even when I applied to UGA and tech, he didn't push it either way. But I, I think he did encourage me to go to the direction of tech in ways that I don't understand now looking 20 years back. So that, that's an, another important protagonist in my life right there and a pivotal Damn. moment. Dads sure have a way of, of wielding that soft influence of not saying what you should do, but sort of indicating strongly and <laughs> opening the door for you. So I can relate to that feeling as well. Um, and, and you mentioned briefly two brothers. I From my notes again, I have all, I have all these notes. And I said, absolutely want to talk about the fact that you officiated your younger brother's wedding. How did that ha happen to, to take place? Yeah, no, thanks for bringing up that kind of wacky bit of trivia about my life. <laughs> One of the... One of my Georgia Tech classmates, uh, Barry Mullins, he and I had known each other since we were five, grew up together, and um, there were a few of us that kind of ended up at Tech together. And um, Barry 
I don't know what, when was this? This was back in, God, almost 10 years ago, eight years ago. He called me up one day and said, hey, I'm getting married. And I was like, great, congrats. And Megan's a great woman and, you know, happy for both of you. And <laughs> he, he said, and, you know, would you officiate it? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Like, when's I, the date? I yeah, I have to quickly ask, were there any credentials or indications or why did he ask you, I guess, is the, is the obvious Yeah, question. what's the ethics exam like and all this stuff? Like, how am right. I going to have to go to, like, you know, school for this? Like, I, I'm not, I wasn't a theology major or anything mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just an average dude, right? And, uh, and he said, no, 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 there's this, this site and, you know, you fill out these forms and, you know, and so I'm a Reverend Robert Hennebury of the American Fellowship Church and, you know, I can legally officiate weddings. And so... Barry asked me, I rose to the occasion, God, I was so nervous the first time I did that, right? Because it's such a sacred space, oh, yeah, uh, you know, absolutely. religious or not, it's just a very special moment, right? Absolutely. And man, I poured up in so much work and, you know, I made it through the wedding and, and, uh, and then I guess I did a good enough job that another friend asked me to do it. And then my, another friend and then my brother, when he got married, he was like, Hey, he and his wife said, would you mind doing this? And I was like, yeah, sure. And that was the one I was, I had the most experience at that point and confidence in, but also like, I, you know, I got more emotional because it's, you know, your little brother and, sure. you know, but it was, it was, it was a fun experience. It was super cool. And I'm, uh, I'm, what an honor to do that for your friends and in particular for your brother. I sometimes refer to this phenomenon as the curse of talent, where when people see that you're good at something, <laughs> They'll start asking you to do it over and over. So maybe don't be too good, but um, it, yes. it, it creates opportunities for a lot of people. It certainly has for me. And perhaps yeah. it's a factor, again, on the notes, this sort of long list of, of activities and organizations you're involved with. So I have Middle East Leadership Academy. I have Central Eurasian Leadership Academy. I have Wounded Warrior yeah. Project. I have Global Good Fund. Uh, how do you get to be involved in so many of these things? I think it's probably talent. It's probably connection, both of which we've talked about. How do you find yourself involved in so many things? Probably um, interest and in, in just what you like to do is part of the equation here as, as well. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. No, that's you're hitting on a lot of good points. And, and the language I would use is no good deed goes unpunished, right? And, I mean, you say yes to things. And that's how you end up running a bunch of podcasts too, right? If you're a talented exactly. guy. Exactly, like yes. Can confirm, then, yes. <laughs> then you get invited back. And what a that's great right. way to you know, have cool conversations and share your talents too, which you're a pretty talented guy as well, Alex. Thank you. Good cool. good to say as a guest. It's a good rapport build for sure. But yeah, but okay. enough about me. Yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's, um, I've done a lot of work around the world and those networks, it's it's interesting. There's, um, it's kind of like an alphabet soup, all these acronyms, right? I'm a member of SIBF, that business network. And SIBF is a network of networks. There's four networks, SIBF. There's the MILA, the Middle East Leadership Academy, SELA, the Central Asian Leadership Academy or Alliance, both, and Southeast Asian Leadership Academy, SELA. So you got SIBF, MILA, SELA, and SELA, right? And people are like, what is all this stuff this guy's doing? He's like writing some sort of like equation on the podcast here or what? And um, yeah, I guess in a way I am. And so these are all business networks um, the academy side and the international part, again, Joel Cowan introduced me to that. Um, these academies are really transformational experiences. So 
exec ed courses, as a point of comparison, are really about, I would say, more technical knowledge and what are best practices in organizational behavior, management, or accounting, and um, very academic in nature and very valuable, right? I would just say it's more intellectual. Whereas, um, and there is a certain amount of relationships and experience and emotional discovery that you can have in those experiences as well. Whereas our academies, it's much more about, I would say, inside yourself. What is your sense of purpose? What are you living into? How do you see your blind spots? What got you here won't get you there, right? There's a lot of more organizational behavior, best practices, leadership facilitation and coaching that comes into those forums. And then there's a 10 day experience where they bring in a class of 30 to 50 people for this 10 days, roughly two weeks with some time on the beginning and end to really discover yourself. And you gotta lead yourself before you lead others. And so I went through the US version of that experience when I was an owner at Seabridge. It really helped me gain a different sense of confidence in myself. It plugged me into a network of other people in my age cohort that were all going through similar struggles in their firms. As you know, how much is the firm, how much is yourself in your 30s and 40s, right? We all go through these transformations in our lives or reinventions. And so I just started traveling in this broader SIBF network and then I started volunteering to facilitate at Mila and Sela. So these once a year, 10 day experiences with leaders in those regions. And so long story short is in 2017, Garnet was retiring from Seabridge. I decided that I wanted to step away too and kind of do some entrepreneurial stuff. I started traveling around the world and I took a year and a half off to do a bunch of entrepreneurial stuff. And I got to meet people across cultures and really get face to face with them and understand their culture through them rather than headlines that are usually through a different agenda. And um, I just loved that work. And as I volunteered and learned how to ask questions and be present with people and learn from them, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about other cultures and I started mentoring in the Global Good Fund. That was a, another network I got exposed to. And now I mentor you know, one or two entrepreneurs at a time and Namibia and Nigeria and India have been connected to young people to help them with, hey, where are your struggles and how do I help you develop in the way that I've developed myself, right? Not that I have all the answers, but having somebody that's a safe space to talk to is so powerful in life, especially if it's in a business context that you're focused on. And the last point I'll mention there is the Wounded Warrior Project, a friend I'd met in another business network, retired army colonel. He knew I liked playing guitar and he loved Van Halen and other stuff. And rock sing-alongs and he retired to New Hampshire and started running these kind of, he's got his outfitters license and doing fly fishing trips and others. And he brought in a bunch of, he was friends with Wounded Warrior Project and he started running these odysseys for three days and he asked if I'd come up. So I volunteered a couple times to go support some of our men and women uh, veterans. And it was just a really powerful experience, man. I got to hear some of their stories of what they had been through, what they're going through. And I just, you know, I helped them fish. I played some guitar and served them some food. And it was a nice way to give back to them, given all the work they do uh, for all of us. So those are just ways to give back, man. That's basically Makes it. Makes sense. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I think... I have two questions ahead. I'm going to ask about how those experiences globally, I think the answer is quite a bit. I want to understand how those experiences affected how you approach business today. You mentioned business sure. context and sort of bringing in those connections. But yep. you have a YouTube channel, which I think you sort of alluded to just now. And as yeah. a content person, I want to give you a plug and the chance to speak about it and get some subscribers before we go too far ahead. So I think it's yeah. called Chord Savvy. Is that correct? 
That's right. I actually, you, I, you and I are on video for this, but you know, that they, I'm holding up my T-shirt. Oh yeah, right there, swag, yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. Swag, swag makes a difference, right? People love T-shirts, and I even have guitar picks with you know the Chord Savvy logo on it. Cool. Um, but I, I could nerd out on this for a long time. So you just tell me when you want me to shut up. <laughs> You're the guest, so you you get to say. You know, if it's a passion project, I think people will be interested to know about it. Okay. Well, Chord Savvy is. It, first off, in my value system and the common thread behind all the other stuff that sounds confusing, and I get that for a number of people, is I like helping others and I have a curious mind, okay? And if I'm doing leadership facilitation or helping people with their wealth management work or helping with presentations and other educational work I do, which I think we'll get into later, I get to help people understand things that I have some technical expertise in or just life experience in. The mentoring, that's, that's helping. Curiosity, you know, digging in and figuring out how music works or how to record an album and I play a bunch of different instruments, that's really interesting to me. Just like investing, you know, like how does a company come together? Back when Jim Cranchus was interviewing me for, you know, Georgia Tech Business School, you know, I was like, I want to run a company and I want to figure that out. And I'm like, there was a lot of curiosity in how I was showing up, right? And so my YouTube channel is the convergence of that curiosity and helping in the digital realm. Right. And there's passion about music, but also passion about entrepreneurship. Back to my MBA at Georgia Tech. And so, you know, there was one day where I had to learn uh, 14 songs within the next day and a half for a, a gig. It's just a backyard gig for a girl from my church. And, um, you know, I went on YouTube and some of these songs like, man, they spend 15 minutes explaining something that could be done in two minutes. Right. I just kind of impatient about that. Like, I know how to play guitar. I don't need you to explain how to play guitar. I just need you to explain how to play the song. So originally Chord Savvy was going to be songs in 60. I was going for the alliteration, like songs in a minute. But that's not really that practical, like explaining Stairway to Heaven in a minute or something like that. And so I landed on Chord Savvy. I did the logo contest. I said, I'm going to build a YouTube channel by the end of two months with 20 videos, three minutes or less. I put an accountability in on it. And I made it happen. And I hadn't really been a creator before. And that was in 2017. And I put in all this effort, nobody paid attention. And then it started kind of taking off. And then I started prototyping and getting better. Like I learned about, like I've got a light ring with me right now. Learned how to use a better microphone when I do those recordings. My, I could just see where my persona and my stage presence changed from the original ones where I was a little more business because I was in my head thinking versus like really being present to the camera and the content. And then paying attention to feedback in my community. And I got dinged a lot. And it's just, it's a really fascinating experience becoming a creator right and so now i've got almost 100 videos i got 350 400,000 views 2500 subscribers i'm officially a youtube partner so i can monetize and make a little bit of ad revenue not much but that's cool yeah and you know t-shirts for sale on the website so check it out and then I, during the pandemic i spent four months building a whole beginner guitar course that people can purchase now so working on how do you set up the back end for that and the sales funnel to go from digital to the buying decision is also another really interesting entrepreneurial challenge too. So it's just, it's really fascinating. And then back to the helping, now I help people with YouTube channels whenever they have one. I'm like, hey, let's get in and do a Zoom call and let me help you nerd out and here's where I screwed up. And like, I, I get to help people create content at a time where good content is really valuable in this world. 
I'm so glad I got the long version of that answer because honestly, when I was formulating the question of you want to plug your site, I just figured it would be a 10 second. Yeah. YouTube.com slash courts heavy go there. But when you, when you explain that experience and when you explain the motivation, that's a very business oriented approach, right? Of like, yeah. there was a market need. I needed a 60 second version of how to learn a song and it wasn't there. So I created a plan and I activated it and I built it up and I've learned lessons. And so I'm so glad we went there first because now when we talk about DN Capital and maybe Seabridge a little bit too, that's probably very relevant in terms of identifying opportunities, seeking value, you know, improving a business. So, so how does that all come together? We sort of go back to where we started what, what do you do at DM Capital and how do all these things we talked about sort of influence that day to day for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, there's a book by David Epstein, I believe it's called range that just came out this last year. It is by David Epstein. I know that book. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, how, why general generalists will went out in a world of specialists. Right. And because a lot of people are like, well, Bobby, you're too confused and distracted. And well, I'm not, but I understand that you are about me and all this stuff that I do. Diversity of experience creates diversity of thought and creates more creative solutions for whatever problems you face. And in a world that we're in right now, where everything changes, your basic assumptions, you have more models and tools and networks and relationships to tap into to help you deal with the challenges. Now, I'm not perfect at that at all. But even at DM Capital with my partner, Dan, you know, me being digital and, you know, having calls on Zoom or thinking about how to message what we do and building a presence on LinkedIn and other things, like I automatically had all these tools where it's like, all right, I've done this in other places. Like when I built a speaking business out and, you know, I do a bunch of that, like how did I find contacts and land clients in LinkedIn? Uh, okay, I'm leveraging some of those learnings to find new relationships in this new digital world, right? Even in the speaking that I do where I have my CFA charter holder hat on and I'm speaking to business groups about other topics, you know, I, I now create these like 60 second to two minute promo videos of, hi, I'm Bobby Hennebury and I'm from, you know, the speaking business or DM Capital, whatever I'm representing in the moment. And I'm looking forward to talking about this subject with you in Bahrain next month or in South Africa. And these are all places I'm speaking either in person or virtually. And here's what I've done. And I know how to put the graphics up there so I can edit. So it's, it's like a creative forum to create a promo video. So I'm creating a more personal way for people to meet me who don't know who I am, but who know the topic so they can make a better informed decision to self-select into a conversation with me. And there's a permanent digital artifact up there that is then working for me that can be found randomly. Or when I go say, hey, you know, I'd love to speak on this topic or here I have expertise in this area, then I can just grab one of those YouTube videos and I can throw it in with a hyperlink, you know, command K. So it's hyperlink blue text over the nice word rather than the long, you know, strand of alphanumeric characters that's so messy in an email. Right, all these like little subtle things that how do you increase the connectivity in the digital world to whatever content you're doing? And with the relationships at DM Capital, I've got more tools to leverage to build in this digital world. And the last thing I'll share on that is back when I'd gotten into, I gotten into mining cryptocurrencies in 2016, I set up a mining rig at my house because I was just curious about investing in it. And it was mining one Ethereum every other day. And then it took off and went crazy. And then all my financial planning friends said, Bobby, can you explain this? Cause my clients want to know what Bitcoin is. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Come over to my house and I'll give you a tour. And so then I 
that curious mind and that helper in me started helping content and I got into this um, speaking experience all around the world. And you know, that was like super cool and nerdy and I just followed that lead. But then I started presenting at business conferences and then I started getting published in some articles. Well, in this crisis, you know, I reached out to the Journal of Financial Planning and I said, hey, you know, I know the financial advisors in our country are probably really struggling because many of them aren't digital. I've done a lot of stuff on the YouTube channel and digital presence and I've got some, an article that I, and I sent them a draft. They published an article of mine on how to build out a digital presence in this world, right? Because a lot of financial planners have been digital distancing, I call it, right? Like they had been staying off digital because they're so afraid of it and they're afraid because there are a lot of rules and in investments and even the way I respond to the questions, I'm trying to respond around regulations about what you can and can't say in this space. And so how do I help inspire people to be more comfortable with the tools I've discovered, right? So marrying those two things. And then that got me into doing another article on active versus passive management and more about the work that I do at DM Capital, right? So I've been able to pivot some of those relationships back towards what I'm doing at DM Capital with Dan, who's a very competent and talented investor. He's a great business partner. And so I've been able to use some of these other tools that I wouldn't have been able to know how to use if I hadn't gone off on these little, I don't want to say tangents, but other, this range of possibilities in what I was doing with my life and still do in some way. So first, uh, thank you for mentioning blockchain because I wasn't sure how I was going to stitch that in just out of nowhere. Sure. It was going to be like 90% of the conversation. Oh yeah, and how about blockchain? But you found a nice way to sort of tie it into what we were already talking about. And certainly I wanted to hear about that. But now that you've told that story as well, I'm actually reminded of um, Bobby in high school getting the printout. Maybe it was printed out. You'd, maybe you didn't say, but yeah. you should be an engineer because I think yeah. what I he I'm hearing from you is a sort of willingness to pursue whatever opportunity presents itself to you. You got, you know, yeah. try engineering. Oh, yeah, sure. I'll try that. Oh, this is pretty fun. And then yeah. Paula said, oh, you should you should think about an MBA. Yeah, I'll give that a go. Oh, wow, this is pretty fun. It's this yeah. sort of receptiveness and the willingness to try. Um, and, you know, I'm sure some of them were, were more fun than others, these choices you made to just sort of go and do. Um, yes. And I've invested different amounts of money in various <laughs> Right. Yes. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, where I want to bring it back, because, again, let's stay on brand. It's a Georgia Tech podcast. Um, yeah. Do you think that's right? It's just a sort of receptiveness? Were there key moments? And you said, Joel Cowan, who it sort of sounds like was the same thing, just like open doors for you. Yeah. Um, is, it, is it that mentality? Is it that approach? Is there more to it? Am I getting close? What do you think? Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of, for, and I love your energy, Alex, and I love how thoughtful you are. And I mean, for those listening, Alex put a lot of effort into researching my background, which I really appreciate, which helps the conversation flow better. So that's the, the invisible skill that you don't necessarily see that adds a lot of value to these conversations. So thank you, Alex, for, for all the care and attention. My pleasure. Yeah, sure. And, um, and so for me, yeah, I, I used to be actually very conservative and like, you know, I know this is what I do. I'm a hamburger and cheeseburger. Or I'm a cheeseburger and French fries kind of guy. And like, sure. I don't want to go travel. Like I, my dad worked at Delta and I didn't want to go on a bunch of trips. I mean, I traveled a good bit and was very fortunate and privileged to. Uh, but I just, I didn't have a lot of needs back then. And, and I don't think I really have a lot of needs now, but I just have a broader view of the world because Garnet Keith, God bless him, he really paid for a lot of experiences. And he said, hey, Bobby, come to this thing. And he he helped me see things beyond what I knew the world was. And then as I saw those things and saw different business networks and trips and how businesses worked, I was like, man, that's interesting. And I got to go on international trips and I found myself very curious about these other cultures, right? 
I just started saying, yeah, I want more of that. I'm interested in that. And on the blockchain thing, I'd been resisting it for a while on Bitcoin. I was like, I, I, I'd known about it for years, but I was like, yeah, it's silly. And, you know, and, and then I finally went to a conference and I was like, man, I think I want to invest some money in this. So I put a little bit in, not much, just a very tiny amount. And I got lucky on the timing in 2016. And then it all took off in 2017. And then more people started asking and I just started saying, yeah, I'll explain. So it's like, if you get outside of your comfort zone and you just, you know, invest a, a little money or a little time or a little energy in something that is totally outside of what you do, it's amazing what you can discover about yourself. Okay. And, and the more, I think, curiosity you express without knowing, like there's a lot you know and you want to fight people because you want the world to come to your view. It's not constructive and it's really frustrating for you in the world. Um, but you can learn a lot through just doing what you're doing, Alex, just asking questions. And if you're willing to then listen the way you're expressing so patiently in all my long-winded answers here, it lets the other person open up. And if you're willing to do that across cultures, man, that's powerful because every one of us, we can be an ambassador for our culture while allowing other people to be ambassadors for them uh, and their cultures, which is what I learned to do on my international travels is I got to like meet people from the Middle East or people that had grown up in the Iron Curtain say, you know, what was life like and what are you doing now? And I just, I just found it fascinating learning from all their stories, right? So anyway, I applied that personally. I applied that in business and that just continues to be what I do is live outside my comfort zone to expand what my comfort zone can be in life. And what a perfect message for what is essentially a podcast about Georgia Tech because, you know, education and those public institutions that really give people the opportunity to go beyond themselves. Uh, a guy from Peachtree City, you know, finds himself giving uh, speeches around the world, you know, not too, not too much later. So, you know, yeah. for those Georgia Tech students that may be tuning in, I think the advice is to sort of expand your horizon and continue, you know, using the opportunity to seek and understand more. For the alumni that were maybe in class with Bobby, reach out because he loves having a conversation no matter what your background. Um, I'm so glad we had this conversation, and I think I hope listeners take it as a sort of encouragement to you know continue to look up and and try new things because you've done that, and it sounds like you've been very successful and really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, I've I've been pretty fortunate in a lot of ways, and you know, a wonderful family upbringing and great education at Tech, and then you know, I just chose to build relationships, and I met some amazing people that put some boats of confidence in me, and. I'm so grateful to Joel. I'm so grateful to Garnet and Dan and many other people. Mead Sutterfield, who's a Georgia Tech alum, who also is very active in CELA, the Central Asian Academy and Middle East Academy networks. Like there are Georgia Tech players in every story I've been in. It's really been amazing seeing where that's gone. And at Tech, we've all learned how to solve problems, right? You know, that's the ones I can't. I can't do all the equations I used to do undergrad and all that stuff. And I'd probably fail tests even worse now than I failed them when I was there, but still got a passing grade. Interestingly enough, because of the curve. Uh, but you know, that work ethic is powerful. So if you put a Georgia Tech work ethic out in the world with some curiosity, and you show up and learn from other people, you can solve problems for them. And learning how to solve problems is so powerful because the world is going to continue to change. Okay. It is volatile, it is uncertain, and it's chaotic, okay? And it's so never rest on your laurels, keep learning, keep expanding so that you're prepared for the next challenge that we can't even begin to see. And the Georgia Tech Education and Network can be there to support you through that if you show up and if you also contribute back to the network. 
as you said, a big part of it is meeting the right people. Bobby Hennebry, it was so nice to meet you. Thank you for the conversation today. Absolutely, Alex. You rock, man. Thanks for the time. Thanks a lot. Thank mm-hmm. you.